Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green. How are you? I am well. I'm your excited for tonight. Your hair's going crazy like I, I know it usually does. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I had this, it passes this event horizon where it becomes <laughs> insane hair. And I don't know, I always get a haircut and then three days later it starts doing this again. So, you know, mm. but hey, I, I'm, I'm thankful for it. At least I got well, some. Well, know. good. Yeah. Uh, today we have on a guest on the show, Patrick James O'Hare. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, a real honor, especially considering uh, your previous uh, roll call of uh, guests. This is, uh, you know, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I met Patty, as he likes to be called, via Facebook and his project called Finding Ford, which is a documentary that he's been involved with, working on, kind of involving his lifelong admiration slash obsession, uh, if that's the right term, uh, <laughs> with Harrison Ford. And I can relate to that as I'm sure Patrick can as well. Like I feel the same way about Sigourney Weaver as Ripley. Um, she's someone who is incredibly important to me. And, but this documentary really follows your quest to sort of meet him and find him literally. Um, and there's a lot to it, but before we get into that, um, I'm going to pass it off to Patrick and then I want to kind of find out your history with Harrison Ford. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to get to tonight. And before we do, I am happy to say that we have some new patrons to thank, and we're going to get you in quickly because you're worth it. Uh, March has been very eventful so far. And I want to give a special shout out to Blood Hut, who is also known as Chris, who actually upped his pledge recently, which has been great. And we have a bunch of people who joined for the first time. So with no further ado, Ian Hughes, Nick Bro, Jacob Abraham, Hannah Toops, Francisco Martinez, Frederick Faith, Ross Yost, Elliot Rocca, and Ian Dunn, whose grandfather worked on the Nostromo sets, which is absolutely fantastic. And we've been having a really cool conversation about that. So thank you to everybody who joined. You're the best. Uh, one of our patrons, Amanda Fisher, just hosted an amazing RPG night. Um, we just put a little update in there for patrons to read. That was so much fun. And we're hoping to do some more game activities like that in the future, too. So if you're interested, you want to learn more, go to bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support. Or uh, look us up on Patreon, and we would love to have you there. And without further ado, Mr. Patty, welcome to Shoulder of Orion. Thanks very much. Thank you. They don't advertise for killers in a newspaper. That was my profession. Ex-cop. Ex-blade runner. So, I guess the first question is, uh, for you, what, what, I mean, this is obviously a Blade Runner podcast, I didn't know until actually Patty and I met up when I was in England a few weeks ago. We met up at the Benito Lounge in Chorlton, which is a essentially a suburb of Manchester, beautiful little village 
Uh, it's just great. We met up at night. I think it was raining. It was apropos. <laughs> and uh, we just talked for probably two hours. And then he dropped me back off at the flat that I was staying at with my friend Rob. Um, but during that time, and this is what I didn't know, I found out that Blade Runner was Patty's favorite film. So using that as a, a step letter, I guess, what happened? Like, how did you get to the place where you are now? Or what was going on in your life as you were growing up where Harrison Ford certainly spoke to you in probably films like Star Wars, but also Blade Runner. Like, what's the what's the germination of all of that? Yeah, so the Harrison Ford thing kind of did really start very early because it was like, I, I basically, as you guessed, you know, I, I saw Star Wars at like two or, you know, very, very young and immediately recognized the Han Solo character as my favorite character. Like all, you know, most of the kids in the playground were like, you know, I want to be Luke Skywalker. And, uh, but I just recognized that character straight away and he was always my favorite. So, you know, when you were playing Star Wars, I was being Han Solo and all that kind of stuff. And then I think, uh, and then I saw Empire at the, uh, at the cinema when it first came out. So I was, you know, about three, three or four or something like that. Um, and I remember that I was like, all the kids, well, my memory of it is like all the kids were singing the Star Wars theme song when it came on, but maybe it was just me. I don't know. So, um, but yeah, so, and then after that, I saw uh, Raise Lost Ark, and that was another character that just really pulled me in. Um, but I don't think it was, it was a little while before I kind of went, oh whoa hang on a minute that's the same guy and then and then i was like right so i need to find out more about this guy i was just you know i, I think those characters really drew me in and and obviously i think it's his innate ability to create empathy with the audience and 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 give us those flawed and vulnerable heroes that really kind of bring the humanity out and so I think that was the way in. Um, and then the, there was a funny kind of relationship with bringing it to Blade Runner was that, and I think I mentioned this to Jamie uh, <laughs> when we had the conversation. Um, and I don't know if either of you could uh, identify with this, but um, back in the day when you had VHS, you know, you would, there'd be things recorded off TV and sometimes you had these tapes that had like fragments of like a, a film or something like that. And I remember having, there was a tape um, that had a fragment of, of Blade Runner on. It was kind of like the, you know, the tail, the, the tail end, like the Bradbury building part, um, which I know people have said is kind of basically a horror movie on its own, just that section. Um, and I remember watching that and I developed this strange concept that, if you remember when um, Deckard shoots Pris and she, you know, does all the flailing around on the floor. And then when Batty, Batty comes in, she's kind of, she's dead, but like with her tongue sort of slightly sticking out and he leans in and kisses her and the tongue goes back in. I had formed this weird opinion when I was a kid that he'd like taken her tongue and it made him extra strength, superhuman or something like that. Um, but it wasn't till a lot, a bit later than that, that I kind of got, um, I picked up like an ex rental VHS of the movie and watched it. And I didn't really like it. It was strange. I, I watched it and just, I, I mean, I, I guess I had maybe the reaction that a lot of people had at the time when it came out was kind of, 
you know, futuristic Harrison Ford, you know, you're kind of expecting a sort of Star Wars-y fantasy type thing. And, and I didn't get that. And, um, but then what I did was, uh, you know, I said to my dad, I said, what do you think of this? Cause I, I didn't really like it, but there's, there's something intriguing, I think about it, you know? Um, so I sat down and watched it with him and, and I said, what did you think dad? And he was like, I was mind blowing. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So, you know, I, I, I kept going with it and rewatching it and then cut to at least the time when the director's cut came out on cinema. By then I was just like, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, and to see the director's cut, you know, the way it was presented then in that way really deepened the experience. And, uh, you know, cause I had no idea uh, from the theatrical cut about, you know, the unicorn dream sequence and how all that tied up with Deckard's possible Decca rep stuff. Um, so, you know, really it's just, and as I'm sure you're aware, it's, it's a film that just, keeps giving more and more every time you see it. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. It's so funny that you just saw that final fifth of the movie, which is which is so batshit on its own. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, Batty howling like a wolf and you everybody's eyes are rolling back in their head. It really it really does, like you say, become basically like a horror movie at the end. So um, I'm not surprised that you had a strange first impression of it. But <laughs> yeah. I also, you know, I mentioned on this podcast a long time ago that my original VHS experience of the movie, which I did find, actually, and I have now in our collection here at my house, it was in my parents' basement. We were cleaning it out. And I was like, that's the tape i saw when i was a kid also I, I did not like it it took me like it took me like years to actually enjoy the the movie because it was just so dark and strange and i think part of that getting back to harrison ford for a second comes out of the fact that my experience with him was only in the context of he is the most likable curmudgeonly charismatic doesn't give a shit protagonist in the most tentpole classic Hollywood movies that every kid falls in love with, right? Because yeah. you have his experience in Star Wars and then you have Raiders and you, you're introduced to him as just this guy who's like this every man who can do everything and he's like reminds you of all the cool people you knew when you were a kid that you wanted to grow up to be. And then you see him as Deckard and it's such a different lens into Harrison Ford as an actor. And of course, yeah. in addition to that, as, as you know well, it was a very painful experience for him and it continues to be, I think, because of the whole mixed legacy of it and fighting with Ridley yeah. Scott and all these other things. So um, I think for a lot of people, you know, Patty, when, when we uh, when we started Shoulder of Orion, it took us like two full years to do a dedicated Deckard episode because Deckard was always kind of this like black box a little bit for 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 me, at least when I because because when I watched the movie, a lot of the time I'm more focused on Batty for for a lot of reasons but i'm also just like mm. it's almost like harrison kind of disappears into this movie he becomes like part of the fabric of it so i guess yeah. this is a long way of getting around to like you're a harrison ford expert which is awesome in your opinion where does deckard fit into his filmography is it like are there other instances where he's done similar things like how does this fit into his career the charmer's name was gaff i'd seen him around brian must have upped him to the blade runner unit that gibberish he talked was city-speak, gutter talk, a mishmash of Japanese, Spanish, German, what have you. I didn't really need a translator. I knew the lingo every good cop did. But I wasn't going to make it easier for him. I mean, I think in some ways it's definitely unique to his career. And 
and going back to um well not going back to but to to briefly touch on when we met up with Paul Salmon, it was November 2019 and we were in the rain in Liverpool. It was neon lit and uh, my director, Steve, shot it beautifully. It looks really Blade runner you know. And he was talking about Harrison and and how kind of well-read he is and, and the interview that he did with him later on for the book, he was talking about some of the background for the character that Harrison had, had come up with himself, which I wasn't aware well of that, you know, I'm sure we could guess that he was an alcoholic, but it was kind of like, uh, you know, he was saying he's possibly suicidal and all this kind of stuff, which was stuff I didn't, I, I mean, you expect that an actor would, would create a backstory, but I wasn't 100% on that in terms of his method until, you know, that conversation. Um, But in terms of characters that, have a similar uh vibe to them um i mean it's in a completely different way because he's a lot more erratic but i don't know maybe maybe he's a little bit closer to um like ali fox in the mosquito coast but in a kind of more internalized way um and perhaps also again a very different character but the the haunted quality that Harrison Ford does really well. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Richard Walker in Frantic, maybe there's a little, there's a kind of bit of that, but um, certainly I think it's um, quite unique in his canon, really. I mean, there's other films we could look at, but um, I think we'll get a, a little flavors of it here and there. But um, yeah, I think you're right. It's kind of, it is unique really to his career. And um, it's a shame that he had a kind of strange relationship with it. I mean, it's, it seems that he's uh, started to accept it a bit more. Certainly, you know, when the uh, final cut came out and we got to see the, my God, the amazing best documentary ever made um, the dangerous days thing, you know, he seemed to be talking about it with a bit more reverence and kind of in a better mood about it. And certainly uh, coming back to it in 2049, you know, he must've felt that there was, there was, there was more story to tell there. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> but definitely. It's not the years. It's the mileage. What's interesting about Harrison Ford is in my perspective or from my perspective, he's an actor that has pursued the role. He's not like Tom Cruise, who's essentially kind of the good guy hero in every movie he's in named Jack, uh, who drives a motorcycle. I mean, he's that version of the same character over and over. He's had a couple of different characters here and there, but mostly he plays the same guy over and over and over. Harrison Ford has not made that decision. Harrison Ford has gone after the role, whether it's the mosquito coast, like you're talking about or frantic or Blade Runner, where he's the anti-hero. He's not the real, he's not the hero of the story. He's kind of a jerk. Uh, he's kind of all over the place. He's not a hero whatsoever. But to me, that's what an artist does. They go after roles that speak to them. I can't imagine Harrison Ford playing the same character over and over. And I think one of his um, reasons for wanting to kill off Han Solo was because he felt like, how much, how long can I do this for? And that's what he yeah. wanted them to do. And 
they were like, sorry, we're not going to do it. Then he, of course, finally got his wish in the the Force Awakens, where he was killed off. But even then, they brought him back for Rise <laughs> yeah. of Skywalker. But he's yeah. proven himself to really be a, a true artist, uh, a, a really a true actor, someone who is about the work, and it's not about the ego. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I would agree with that. I, I I thought it was kind of funny what what. I think when it, it, when he talks about it retrospectively about killing Han Solo in uh, Return of the Jedi, he says like uh, George didn't think there was much future in uh, dead Han Solo toys. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he felt that it would give the character um, more weight that he sacrificed himself for his friends and gave it some kind of, you know, to do more, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he finally got his. I got his wish there. So for you, when was it in terms of Blade Runner um, that the film just clicked in for you? It was quit when I come in here, Brian. I'm twice as quit now. Stop right where you are. You know the score, pal. You're not cop, you're little people. It's, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what it was, but I think after the initial kind of not liking the darkness of it and that um i guess i guess it would probably it would be the visuals you know when you look when i kind of looked at it through my dad's eyes initially it was like you know looking at the opening sequence and and then just everything real i mean you know the way it's lit the way it's shot like the and the music was was a huge thing for me because i was I kind of had quite an eclectic taste from from being very young. You know, I was like obsessed with Elvis and things like that. Um, but then I was listening to, you know, Jean-Michel uh, Jean Jarre and, you know, Tubular Bells and things like that. So when the soundtrack started shining through, I was like, wow, this who who is this? You know, and then I was looking up Vangelis and, uh, you know, listening to more of his stuff and, uh and so that synthesizer, you know, electronic sound, really, we'd not had anything like that, had we? You know, certainly in reference to Star Wars, you know, or Indiana Jones, you were very much used to, you know, beautiful, lavish orchestral scores. And then all of a sudden there's this, you know, very, very different. Uh, and, it, and it's almost, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like, it's hard to divorce the the score from the from the film now it's like it just feels like it's all one perfect you know globe of blade runner goodness that's all locked in together but i think those were the initial things and and then i started you know falling in love with um deckard's costume and and the gun oh my god you know i'm thinking retrospectively with a kid you know how good how cool the gun was and all that kind of stuff but then you know as you get older you become more I suppose more obsessed by Batty, like you were saying, and and Rachel, and certainly I was. I, I mean, I, I I I don't I don't get starstruck that much. Very not, and I managed to hold it together. Um, but I was I, I was lucky enough to meet Rutger and um, Sean Young, um, and I just like it was just like wow to meet you know Rutger Howard particularly. Um, I mean Sean Young was great too, but. Um. Yeah, getting to meet him was a really cool thing. And just a quick—I I don't know if you guys do. You guys, were, are you familiar with Last Exit to Nowhere? 
the t-shirt guys oh yeah 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 so um i'm quite good friends with them and they they always used to be at london film and comic con selling their stuff we ended up having a little challenge each year where i would go i'm going to take one of your t-shirts and try and match it up with one of the guests and get a picture taken with them so i got one of their nexus six t-shirts and gave it to rutger as like a gift and um he 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 wasn't sure at first, but then he, he he let me take a picture of him with the t-shirt, and the guys were just like so so blown away by it. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't know if I've answered your question. I, I think I feel like I'm going off on tangents, but <laughs> I hope I'm making sense. That's that's what podcasting is all about is is getting <laughs> getting good tangents, you know. Um, what so so before I get to my other question, what you you got to actually did Rucker wear the shirt? He didn't wear it. No, it, okay. it was kind of. I got a photo with him earlier in the day and then he was very, very busy, obviously. And, uh, it ended up being his last UK show, sadly, but, um, I was the last person on the last day to get his autograph. So I had a little bit of extra time just to say, you know, my friends have made this t-shirt and I'd like to give it to you. And he was like, Oh, that's great. You know, thanks very much. And I said, do you mind if I take a picture with it? And he was kind of like, (laughs) (laughs) i'll let you kind of thing but no no smile you know but they were they were they were so blown away by that uh the last exit to nowhere guys it was really cool that is so cool yeah i I feel like um i really wish that we had been able to get rucker on the show in the first couple years that we had it while he was still alive because he's he just comes up so frequently in conversations and as such a such a cornerstone of people's blade runner experience and i feel like every time somebody else has his like personal you know paul who's been on the show many times talks so much about rucker and about their you know time together sailing etc and yeah amazing. feels like he's really alive you know like he's here with us um did you read his guess, book uh, yeah. as well did, did, no. did you read that's really good yeah yeah i i have it really. in my i have it in my list on amazon <laughs> yeah it's, re- it's it. really good yeah <laughs> i read it on holiday um, a few years ago oh nice so so uh of course we, we come around to 2017 and harrison ford is all of a sudden in all of the advertising <clears throat> for 2049 yeah you know he's on the poster wearing uh kind of a generic looking costume and you know i i, I guess what i was feeling going into this movie was that there was potentially that harrison was kind of showing up similar to how I kind of felt going into the star Wars sequels that he was kind of there at, by obligation because he kind of like had to be contractually, but it wasn't really something he cared about. But just like the star Wars sequels, I actually didn't find that he seemed to really bring his full self to the, to the project. And especially of course in 2049 where, where he turns in what is probably my favorite performance of his ever Maybe I don't know. I, right. I think that Deckard in 2049 is like astonishing for for how little screen time he is he has in that movie. The amount that he's able to convey and the way that he uses his age in a really intelligent way is so is so cool. Uh, just kind of getting back around to it, you know, I remember 350 years ago when when Crystal Skull was coming out, and I remember all of the the press <laughs> yeah. leading up to that, and he was like, "I want to show people that when they're in their 60s, you know, you can still be an action star." You know, and he, he was like 61, yeah. I think, when he made that, right? Um, and there was all this talk about like, "Oh, like they're never going to know how old I actually am because I can move like a young guy," you know. Yeah. And then what I love is that when 2049 comes out, like he is unabashedly an old man. 
He is yeah. not trying to play against type. He's just like his full self and his full self is kind of frail in that movie. And I think part of what I love about his performance it's kind of like what Jamie was saying is that he leans into that, you know, like he's not yeah. trying to be Indiana Jones in this movie and he's not trying to be the Deckard from 40 years ago, almost like he's being himself. So when 2049 came out, what were your impressions of the film, but specifically as a Harrison fan and, uh, you know, expert of his performance yeah. in it? Um, well, just to go to that scene, I, I, I do love that bit where he's, you know, him and Kaya fighting and he's knocking seven bells out of him and then he just stops kind of exhausted he's like <sighs> <You know? laughs> i like this song you know so so good but um yeah i mean i've got to be honest like when they announced that it, they were making a sequel like uh, i don't know what you guys felt about it, but the initial thing was like terror i was just like oh god don't 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 mess it up please please don't mess it up you know so I was kind of skeptical when they announced, you know, that Villeneuve was going to direct it. I thought I, I went and checked out his other films and I thought, yeah, I think yeah, I can see this really working. Um, you know, it was a shame that Ridley didn't come back, but I mean, it, I, he was working on other stuff, wasn't he? But you just wonder whether there, maybe there was other reasons why, um, why that happened, but still, and then they announced that my biggest frustration leading into it was that there was, there was, they'd not mentioned anything about the music yet. And I was like, Vangelis is still alive. He's still recording albums. Let's, you know, let's see what happens. And if you remember, they initially announced that Johan Johansson, but yes, was yeah. going to do the score. Um, and again, I'd looked at Villanum's other films and heard his stuff. And I thought, yeah, you see, he could be a good fit. I mean, why haven't we got Vangelis? But, um, and then <clears throat> it was getting quite close, wasn't it, to when it came out? And uh, it was like Johan Johansson's off the project, and it's um, say it for me. <laughs> Hans Zimmer and Ben Walfish. Hans Zimmer, yeah, yeah. Hans and, and Zimmer. Ben Walfish. Got to give him credit because because I, I think Ben Walfish did most of the music for it, actually. But he probably yeah doesn't get as much so, of the credit. And I was like, no, <laughs> I've got to be honest because I mean, not to take away from Hans Zimmer, like I love like old school Hans Zimmer, like, you know, Rain Man and those kind of scores. And I know he knows his stuff, particularly with electronic stuff, but but his tendency now to be less melodic and more, you know, 25 tracks of kettle drums banging away and, and that kind of stuff. I'm not as enamored with that. And, and, and when you compare it to the original score, like the original score is something that you can sit on and you can put on and just listen to for pleasure. The the new one, I find I can't just put it on. I mean, there's a couple of things. He got the, you know, the synthesizers out, that Mesa track and a couple of things like that feel really old school Blade Runner. And of course, Tears and Randy Reed did. But so I, I was disappointed about, about that. And I was wondering about Harrison, of course. And then, you know, and then the first trailer came and he came out pointing the gun and I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> But again, so to, to, to sort of, I kind of, I guess, review what my reaction to the whole thing was. So the, well, the cons first, we've done, we've done the music. Um, and then if you recall leading up to, uh, the production, I think it was around the time that he did the, was it the AFI tribute to John Williams, where he, Harrison came on with the big beard and was like, the goddamn music follows me everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, he had this big beard. And as we learned later on, you've seen that concept 
concept art i'm sure of deckard with the, with the beard and the jacket and like looking kind of hermity and stuff and like i think that really really could have worked um because it makes sense he's been out there for such a long time on his own you know who would he be getting his hair cut and shaved for and i think somewhere along the line there was clearly a a producer decision where they went we're paying quite a lot for harrison ford's face we'd like to see it because that that has happened before, you know, on the fugitive. I think he faced that. Um, and he was like, okay, I'll start with the beard and then I'll shave it off. Okay. You know? So I, I think there's some challenges there. Um, and, and the cost, his costume was, you know, left, as you were saying, left a bit to be desired, you know, but then I thought again about it and I thought, well, he's in a hotel, you know, he's probably ended up having to raid bags that were left behind or something. And he's just found like t-shirts and pants and whatever's there, you know? Um, but, but in general, I mean, overall, I just thought it was a magnificent piece of work. It, it, it surpassed my expectations completely. Uh, you know, I saw it in IMAX and, and I was just blown away. I'm sure like you, I was a little bit scared that, you know, we might, they might give us the answer then about whether Deckard is a replicant or lot, which they kind of skirted around it in a, in the, in a smart way, I thought. And, um, and you know, what was, what's going to be the end of his journey and, uh, God, I, you know, the, the, when he finally gets to meet his daughter and what well, they can't get together, obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's been out there on his own for such a long time and he lost the love of his life and, and he's reunited with his daughter, but they're never going to be together. Uh, but he comes in and touches the glass and, Oh, I've wept like a child. man. I was just, I thought it was so beautifully done. Uh, yeah. Wow. And I'd not, I'd seen a little bit of, um, of, of Ryan Gosling before, but he really, yeah, I really became a fan after seeing him in that. So yeah, was there anything else you wanted to discuss on 2049 or I? What I would like to do is to move, like, let's get a little bit, let's get a little bit bigger in terms of the bigger picture. And mm. what is Harrison Ford as an actor? Okay. There are some films that are speaking to you. What is speaking to you about him as a person as you see more of his films, because what we're leading up to is of course, this documentary that you're involved with. Um, mm. that's really chronicling your, uh, again, admiration of this man as an actor and a person. And so what's yeah. also informing you at this time, aside from movies like Blade Runner or later on Blade Runner 2049. As a guy, I, I always thought it was fascinating that he wasn't, he was very much unlike the other big, stars and actors around the time he he didn't play the hollywood game bullshit like he didn't turn up to you know the opening of an envelope it was like harrison ford's got a movie coming out we'll see him for about two weeks he'll come out and sell it do magazine interviews and then he's back off to wyoming you know it was like that reasoning he had to just kind of it is, it is about the work like you say is you know he, he he loves the process he he makes the film goes out and sells it and then he's then he's done and I, i've always found it fascinating that certainly in his earlier day i think he's very different now i think he's learned to embrace it and have a lot more fun with it certainly when he came back with star wars and everything else i noticed a, i don't know if you guys noticed it but there seemed to be a big change where he was just like i'm just gonna have fun with this now and he's like telling jokes in interviews and just being really really funny and he had the ability to do that but 
when you look back at like the eighties interviews and stuff like that, he was quite, quite serious and solemn most of the time, which I, again, I just found interesting, but I think it was that, that craftsman thing as well, you know, cause I've, I've read, I started to read a couple of biographies by this point and uh, just seeing how he, you know, started out his work through theater, you know, crashed and burned twice in the, uh, in the studio system, which I think would be, probably where he got his uh i don't want to say dislike but his his not playing the hollywood game he was like this is this is not for me at all you know uh he came straight out of that and then it was like well i need to fill some time i've got to pay the bills you know certainly something i can identify with he was like bought a house ripped it out and learned how to you know became a carpenter to to build his own house and and i think we see that approach the craftsmanship part of it i think i believe he doesn't do much of it now but i think that that um that craftsmanship was went hand in hand then i think with the acting and uh so yeah i think i think that's what interested me the most about him and and then obviously seeing once i've started to get into the films then uh as his career developed i mean obviously star wars indiana jones and then but there was like a there was like a a bracket of films wasn't there around between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back? Like he nailed three in a row or something. I've kind of got a soft spot for those because two of them felt like almost they could be like Indiana Jones adventures, but he's like like off on a tangent. So it's like you know Hanover Street was this World War Two romance thing, and there's quite a bit of action in it. And um, I ended up becoming friends with Shane Rimmer, who was um, who played a role in in that and he shared some great scenes with Harrison and then there was Force 10 from Navarone which again was like a you know World War 2 action kind of thing um, so they there wasn't a, there wasn't a huge amount around to watch in the early days you know so you were kind of reaching back into the later in his career and Frisco Kid as well he did around that time with Gene Wilder which was like a comedy western which I really liked that um, but then you started to see a completely different side to him then didn't you um you know we got witness which is again travesty wise is like the only film he's ever been nominated for an oscar for uh you know we got Moss mosquito coast blade runner frantic um and then he really started to you know he started to don the suits then didn't he you know we got some comedy with working girl and then we got you know presumed innocent and uh regarding henry he was he just seemed to be trying to do challenge himself and do much more different things i think the in terms of his his acting and, and the the career choices like the tail you know the second half of the 80s and and quite a bit of the 90s was some really interesting work there would you agree i certainly would and and you know i i come into this uh mostly from like so my childhood really was primarily in the 90s and i feel like for me i think of it's like early 90s action work is like yeah. there's sort of like the star wars blade runner era you know uh harrison and then there's like the, the sort of 90s like leading man air force one era harrison and to me there's like um yeah he's just he just really he's he consistently over the decades turned in like genre defining performances and things across many and then of course like what lies beneath a whole sort of yeah. late career renaissance for him in my opinion um yeah just just an extraordinary career and i guess that brings me to my last question for you which is uh 
Can you tell us a little bit about your film? Like, uh, what 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 exactly is this movie? Like, how, how are you building it? How I know it's been in production or pre-production for or both for a long time. Give us yeah. a little bit of a window into into how Finding Ford is coming to life. The initial genesis of it, I think, was this is back in about 2015, 16. I was seeing that fandom was becoming more of a a personal affair um you know otherwise we wouldn't be here would we but um you know people were starting to kind of document their fandom and 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 give their side of the story about what a certain fandom means to them or how it's affected their life and uh and i know there was a lot of kind of star wars ones going on and i thought that was i thought that was really cool that you know i felt like i was i documented my fandom for a long time but never you know really put it out there or anything like that um so i started to think about it and um i thought well there's a lot of star wars stuff around so i'm not going to do that as much as you know i do love star wars um so doing one about harrison seemed like the obvious choice i was like well what else have you been researching for (laughs) 35 years or whatever you know so i came up with the idea and came up with the title and you know, I didn't know that much. I was just trying to do it myself with like a iPad or whatever, and just grabbing a couple of people and speaking to them. Truly, I'm not, you know, I'm not a filmmaker really. Um, in terms of what I'm doing now, it's like the roles have been defined, you know, I'm creator and producer and quote unquote star in sort of <laughs> Harrison's the star really, but it's, you know, it's kind of my story. Um, but then, um, my director Steve Pilling got involved, and he was really able to, you know, come up with a visual style, and started to help, you know, shape the, shape it what 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 it was going to be. You know, it was nice to have somebody. I was just trying to figure it all out myself, which was not an easy thing to do, and and he was, you know, a good sounding board to f- try and figure out what this was, and. Um, Yes, it, for me, it was like about I, I want to learn more about him, and and present stories that you won't necessarily have heard before. Like, let's go to, you know, if you go and watch one of his films, and maybe there's an extras on there, you know, you're gonna hear you see interviews with him, the director, and like what the other co-star or something like that. You're not gonna hear a story from an extra that works on him strikes back or, you know, and, and as I was getting into going to conventions and stuff, I was able to meet some of these people and that, and they were telling me stories and little things that I'd not heard before. So I was like, it would be amazing if we develop and, and grow to be able to interview like the bigger stars and stuff like that. But that almost like if, and if we do get that, I'm, and we have sort of climbed up the ladder, you know, we've interviewed bigger people and stuff, but really that didn't seem so much important as, as sort of gathering a collection of interesting people and stories that you'd not heard before. Um, plus along the way, it was obviously it's, it's, it's about, it's about me to a certain extent. And, um, Steve was is really working on kind of shaping that where it's sort of almost like the third act is 
is kind of my story really um so and judging by what we've talked about uh, i've always found that it's always been a part i mean yes it's a you know you're crazy it's crazy obsession or whatever it is but i've always found he's been an incredible conduit for so many other things like like we wouldn't be sat here talking now if i wasn't a harrison ford fan it's like i met my friend paul shipper who I, I don't you may have heard of he's a illustrator he's worked on star wars marvel and um all kinds of big stuff now um but this is a guy that i met at a film collector's fair in the early 90s fighting over a copy of vanity fair with harrison ford on the cover and we've remained friends for like 30 years so you know and like we were saying before i discovered vangelis through him you know you get to learn about other directors that he's worked with and then go off and look at their films so as well as being you know the main man so to speak it's like he's just been you know i've just been able to discover so many things through him um and meet other people and become friends with people and all over the world so he's sort of been a yeah a, a positive influence so coming back around to it I, I guess it's trying to get all of that in there i mean um, um i was lucky enough to meet you know we were lucky enough to meet him on the set of indiana jones 5 in uh the uk um which obviously is a moment i've been dreaming about for like 40 years uh and he was in costume as indiana jones which was even more ridiculous um and you know we we exchanged a brief couple of words, but and we've got that on film. Um, the dream would be to be able to have a bit of a conversation with him as part of the film, as like a, a finishing point, or maybe to run into him again somehow. So, you know, we're going to Star Wars Celebration next month. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, you know, Indiana Jones is coming out later in the year. We're going to try and get to the premiere. See if we can get something there. Um, and I think along with some of the other interviews I would like to get with co-stars, et cetera, I think we'd sort of have a nice circular there. It sort of starts with meeting on the set of Indiana Jones and finishes as the film's coming out. But then in between there's, you know, all the other good stuff, hopefully. So that, that's a kind of general gist of what, what it is, if that makes sense. I came here to save you. Oh, yeah? And who's going to come to save you, Junior? I told you. Don't call me Junior. Look what you did. I can't believe what you did. What is the the timeline on the production of the film and the release of it. Is it really depending on essentially the footage you're talking about getting more footage with him, maybe in at star Wars celebration, if he ends up there promoting Indy five, which would make sense because that's when Lucasfilm promotes their stuff is during their, exactly during their um, conventions. Um, is it, do you have like maybe an end date or, or an end date for production for this year? Or is it just whenever you feel like it's right? It's ridiculous how long it's been really. And, and, because you can 
And when you look at the footage, there's me in 2009 with long brown hair. And then I was like, you know, this guy with gray hair now, I think that, I don't know if it's fatherhood or the project that's aged me, but um, certainly it's been a quite a long time because, uh, you know, it's, it's self-finance as well. So it's, it's about allotting time to get the things done because we need to travel or whatever and setting things up with the people and, 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 the actual setting up of the interviews can be can be tricky, as I'm sure you're aware. You know, it, okay, you know, it's looking good for next month, and then it gets moved to three months away. So this, like, that has stretched the project out. Certainly, you know, it's like my schedule plus other people's schedules has made it a, a longer thing. But you know, we're getting close to about maybe twenty interviews in the can or something like that. I feel like if we had maybe another. I don't know, 10 or 15 plus the other stuff that we want to do. I think we'd probably be quite close. I mean, I'd love to be able to say by the end of next year, let's put a cap on filming the stuff. That would make sense. Um, but who knows if, if some other doors start to kick open, then we'll just have to follow that. I think like you say, it needs to feel right. And then, you know, we would, we will, we'll attack the, uh, the post-production we've already got, you know, we've got some music. My friend Andrew Barraclough's composer got. We've got the Finding Ford theme. We've got you know some really cool bits of score there, like an orchestral score, um, ready to go with it. Um, I think maybe the shape of it will be dictated by obviously what Steve's generating for the narrative and uh, and and what comes out. You know, because talk talk leads to leads to other talk i guess I, i'm not too sure uh I, I don't want to go another year if we, it'd be good if we can get to the end of the year and put a cap on it and then start getting it together yeah because i would like to birth it it's been gestating for a while now <laughs> yeah i understand i do like i mean I, as you know i worked on a documentary that i directed and released and it took seven years and these yeah. stories take as long as they need to take for them to be made. I mean, especially with a documentary where you might have a, a story in mind or a narrative in mind, and then you, you get more footage and you do more interviews and then something else rears its head. And so then you veer off into, into that direction and you have to go with it as long as it's telling you to. Um, and then you kind of know when that end is and it's just, it's different for everyone. As we wrap this, first of all, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show, but also where can people find out more about Finding Ford? Yeah. So, and it was an amazing piece of work, by the way, your film. So congratulations you. to you on that. Um, yeah. So you can find us on uh, com. I do all the updates there. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, twitter and even started investigating tiktok a little bit in my later years <laughs> i feel like maybe i'm a bit too old for that but certainly the numbers go crazy on there i don't post on there that much but the numbers are going ridiculous but i am trying to if if you follow us on uh you know instagram twitter etc certainly over the past two or three months i've been trying to post more regularly and um the numbers are going going up and uh there's more interaction stuff so it's i feel like it's it's not just a project it's also you know kind of just sharing uh the love of this guy with fans around the world it's fantastic patty before we wrap i should point out uh speaking of tiktok 
Perfect Organism, our sister show, has a TikTok officially now that our friend Xander is running. And we might be bringing that to Shoal of Orion too. We'll see how it does. But uh, yeah, I can relate to feeling kind of like a fish out of water with that. Um, but anyway, cool. but, but Patty O'Hare, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for this project. I cannot wait to see it. And uh, I'll be sure to follow you on social, as should everybody else who's listening to this, because this is very exciting stuff. Thank you very much, Patrick, Jamie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That was the quickest hour of my life. I, I just, that went by really quickly. Thank you for, for coming on the show. Um, hopefully maybe when the, the doc is out or finished, we can have you back to talk about it. Uh, I think that would be great. I'd love that. I can't, right. I can't wait to see it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Okay. Thanks. Have a, have a Thank good one. Thank you so much. Have a better one. Bye, everybody. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.